It's heartbreaking to hear this kind of news. Absolutely heartbreaking. A young girl critically injured when a vehicle jumps the curb and how residents warned it was dangerous. Inflation pain. Overall, there's still quite a bit of pressures right now in the economy. Rising costs we haven't seen in nearly 40 years. What's driving it and how long it could last? And empty houses, full coffers. Why BC is expanding the vacancy and speculation tax and the notable communities not included. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We begin tonight in Kitsilano, where a child has been critically injured, struck while waiting to cross the street. The little girl was with her family on a corner near Kitts Beach when suddenly a vehicle jumped the curb. Krista Dow is live with more on what happened and the growing concerns in the community. Krista. Oh, Chris, we are here in Kitsilano at Cornwall and Arbutus, where earlier today, a very tragic accident. Right behind me, two vehicles collided and jumped the intersect, uh, jumped the curb rather, right at the intersection and struck a girl who was waiting on the sidewalk with her family. Now, residents have warned about this for years, and of course, they are fed up. They say not enough has been done to protect pedestrians in this area. Now, what we know at this hour, that five-year-old girl remains in hospital with critical injuries. A child and her family were waiting to cross at the sidewalk at Cornwall Avenue and Arbutus when, according to police, two vehicles, a Nissan hatchback and Mercedes G-Wagon, collided in the intersection. Police say one was making a left turn, crashed into the other vehicle, sending it over the curb and striking that young girl. No one else was seriously injured. Residents tell me they've been pushing for traffic calming measures for years, but with no success. It is unclear what exactly happened, but police say they're looking at all factors. Things like speed, who had the right of way, whether it was driver inattention, all of those factors will form part of the investigation. At this point, it's too early to say. You tell me how comfortable you feel standing on this corner with cars going by at 60 to 70 kilometers per hour. Look at how close the sidewalk is to the street. Look at all the traffic. It's ridiculous. I have been advocating for lower speeds uh, as well as wider sidewalks um, and more uh, protected active transportation infrastructure, um, more signaled crosswalks and curb bulges. Uh, there are a number of infrastructure investments that we can make that would keep our most vulnerable road users, pedestrians and cyclists and young people safe. And Chris, uh, residents tell me this isn't the first time that there have been several crashes at this intersection in the past few months alone, and they're getting pretty fed up. So they are now, I'm told that there is a grassroots campaign in the works uh, calling on the city to implement um, new traffic calling measures, just add more safety features to make these streets safer. And they're hoping uh, that that will prevent more tragedies and accidents like the one we saw earlier today. Let's hope it does. Krista, thank you very much. That's Krista Dow reporting live near Kitts Beach. A province-wide arrest warrant has been issued for a suspect in a bizarre and violent crime in Chinatown that was caught on video. The security cam footage shows a group of people standing on East Pender near Gore when a 40-year-old mother and her toddler 
are suddenly struck from behind by a man who was running down the street. The woman was knocked to the ground and hit her head. The child suffered multiple scrapes. The incident happened July 9th after police responded to reports of a man in traffic kicking cars. Man behaving erratically, walking without a shirt, uh, in the downtown east side, kicking at cars. He was acting violently, he was acting erratically, and he kicked one car so hard that he caused a dent in the driver's side door. So a witness phoned 911 asking for help, and as our officers arrived in the area, uh, the man took off running. Um, we followed the man, uh, we were able to arrest him. 27-year-old Shaquan David Kelly was arrested but failed to show up for his court hearing. Three men allegedly linked to the Hells Angels in the interior have been charged with drug offenses. Police say the investigation began in 2017 when they suspected members of the Throttle Lockers Motorcycle Club were expanding a drug trafficking operation in Kamloops. But it wasn't until November 2019 when three search warrants were conducted that police found more than $330,000 in cash and a large amount of drugs, including cocaine and fentanyl. One of the things we're trying to highlight with uh, this announcement today is that the enforcement action, although it was uh, now two or three years ago, uh, it really took the wind out of their sails and essentially stifled their intentions to establish a clubhouse and really trying to set up shop here in Kamloops. More than a dozen charges have now been approved against Kamloops resident Zale Cody and Jacob Cavanaugh and Sean Carlisle of Falkland. All three are set to appear in court in Kamloops July 28th. Another major jump in the inflation rate, the largest increase in the cost of living in nearly four decades. And as Aaron MacArthur reports, while you continue to struggle, charities are hit hard too. Another month, another staggering jump in the inflation rate. Across Canada, everything is more expensive. An 8.1% increase in the cost of living is a number not seen since the early 1980s. It's a real challenge, I think, for a lot of households to grapple with higher costs of living uh, alongside wages, which are rising, but they're not rising quite as quickly as what we're seeing uh, for prices. Gasoline, the biggest component of this growing unaffordability, a 54% hike in the price of gas means to fill the tank of an average minivan has gone from $111 to $174. A $250 hotel room last year is now worth $375. Rent has gone up by $250. And the average monthly utility bill has gone from $150 to $208. Costs that have pushed people to spend less wherever they can. Possibly driving less, but having to drive further. My costs have gone up uh, 20%. Wow. Um, and I can't put that onto my uh, employer because he won't pay it. So yeah. Charities have been feeling the pinch for months now. Finding people to volunteer to drive is proving challenging. According to the BC Cancer Drivers Charity, the cost of gas is keeping volunteers at home. Looking at our driver situation, we've actually, even though we've increased their mileage allowance or kilometer allowance, uh, our number of drivers has actually declined the last while, so that doesn't seem to have worked. There is a silver lining of sorts. BC's inflation rate actually decreased slightly in June. And overall, the jump was less than many economists had forecasted. Expect the Bank of Canada, though, to continue to raise interest rates. Any return to normal is still months away. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. 
Well, the province is expanding the speculation and vacancy tax to include more municipalities. It says an independent review of the program shows it is working to help keep rents lower in urban areas. But as Richard Zussman reports, resort areas where housing is also an issue are still not included. Expanding the spec tax. The best way to avoid paying is to use the houses you own as a home. Starting in 2023, the speculation tax will now apply to North Cowichan, Duncan, Lady Smith, Lake Cowichan, Squamish, and Lions Bay, a measure these communities have been asking for. The ads started popping up from real estate agents and developers um, for people to invest in Squamish specifically because it was outside of the tax region. And so that was really frustrating. The tax is already in place in Metro Vancouver, the Victoria region, Kelowna and Nanaimo. 99% of British Columbians are not impacted, meaning they live in their home or rent out secondary properties. An independent review recently found the tax put in place in 2018 is working, punishing speculators or putting homes back on the rental market. The spec tax, I think, is a really useful instrument for the government, but it's only useful in certain circumstances. It's useful in places where a lot of homes are being kept vacant, right? But at the same time, the rental vacancy in the purpose-built rental stock is really, really low. That's what you'd like to see in your suite. But where it's not working is affordability. At the end of 2018, the average benchmark price of a Metro Vancouver home was a million dollars. Now it's 1.3 million. Rents have jumped from an average of $2,000 a month in 2018 to $2,400 a month now. They're five years into their 10-year housing plan. They've only delivered 6% of the units. Uh, rents are up by almost $3,000, $4,000 a year uh, down in the lower mainland. And we've never seen housing more unaffordable than it is right now. The province is not considering expanding the tax to all jurisdictions in the province. Places like the Gulf Islands and Whistler are exempt. They count on visitors coming and taking advantage of short-term rentals, but locals are having a hard time finding an affordable place to live. Resort communities have a slightly different uh, challenge and a different role to play in our province. You know, the government is having to have a delicate balance here of addressing uh, issues around affordability, around availability of rental units, of the ability of first-time buyers to purchase in communities that to some extent are starting to push the edge. Kitchen, yeah, <laughs> anywhere over there is good. Our communities hoping more help will come before more people go over that edge of not being able to afford a home. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. And short-term rentals are popular for people heading to Penticton for summer vacations, but the city wants to take a closer look at the impact those short-term rentals are having on the community. Some residents feel that operations like Airbnb, for instance, impact housing availability for people who live in the Penticton year-round or live in Penticton year-round, causing disruption in neighborhoods from so-called party houses. The city is looking at bringing in new regulations, but says the 500 or so short-term rentals operating now benefit the city in many ways. Tourism is so important, whether it's wine tourism or recreational tourism, and we just don't have enough tourist offerings with our traditional hotels and motels. The city says its first step is to ensure the properties operating as short-term rentals are actually licensed, paying taxes, and following the rules. Well, Surrey's mayoral race is shaping up to be a battle royale with another candidate entering the field today. Keith Baldry is live in Victoria with more on this. Uh, Keith, a lot of people who seem to want the job right now. Give us a recap. <laughs> 
not only people who want the job, but experienced people who want the job. We've never seen anything like this before uh, at any level of election. So we've got five people now with various degrees of experience being elected at all three levels of government. Again, unprecedented what's occurring in Syria. Here are the five faces to keep an eye on. Doug McCallum is the incumbent. Still hasn't declared whether he's running. We do expect him to run. Uh, Brenda Locke, current city councillor, former B.C. Liberal MLA. Ginny Sims, former MP, former uh, current MLA for the NDP as well. Souk Dollywall, uh, current MP for the Liberal Party in, uh, at the federal level. And now today, Gordy Hogue, the former mayor of White Rock, former B.C. Liberal MLA, former Liberal Party MP, announcing his candidacy as well. He talked about one of the critical issues facing Surrey voters. That is the fate of the RCMP in, uh, in Surrey. And his position is different from the other uh, candidates in terms of he wants to see a referendum on this issue put in front of Surrey voters. Here's Gordy Hogue. But once those facts are known and shared with the community, I believe that the people of Surrey should finally have their say. Because they alone, not nine people on council, should make that final decision about an issue this big, this important, and this costly. So five candidates, and they have different positions on the issue of Surrey policing. Gordy Hogue wants a referendum. Brenda Locke wants this, uh, the, the uh, situation changed immediately and to retain the RCMP. Doug McCallum, of course, this is his baby. He wants to uh, keep the plan. Uh, Suk Dollywell thinks it's far too gone to change things now. You're going to have to change the RCMP. And again, Ginny Sims wants to study the situation. So again, five candidates, five different positions on what could be the dominant issue come the fall election in Surrey. See how it all unfolds. Thank you, Keith. On the topic of municipal politics, the city of Victoria asked residents what they think of the job local politicians are doing. And a strong majority were not all that happy. Still, as Kylie Stanton found out, city councillors were getting some things right and are promising to do better. In favour. With every vote cast, Victoria's mayor and council get to have their say. Okay, so that carries. But now, the tables have turned. We're basically shining a spotlight on ourselves and saying, show us all our warts. So we asked for this governance review to figure out what we're doing well and, and what we could do better. And there's plenty to unpack here. The report containing 111 pages of feedback from nearly 900 respondents reveals exactly how Victorians perceive the job local politicians have been doing. 81% say they are dissatisfied or very dissatisfied with the city's governance. And when it comes to efficiency, 77% disagreed or strongly disagreed that the matters considered by council were dealt with in an appropriate time frame. 68% disagreed or strongly disagreed that council makes decisions in the best interest of the city. And 82% say they disagree or strongly disagree that council ensures the city is focusing on the right things. I wouldn't get too caught up in the statistics of a very small self-selected survey, but I do think that there are some good recommendations in there and, and we should look at implementing them. There are 30 in total, many aimed at improving public participation and efficiency at the municipal level. It's important that they understand to stay in their own lane. There are things that are not within the purview of municipal governments and some on this council and many others will stray outside that lane and get themselves involved in things that are not really a municipal matter. But there were also some notes of praise, particularly council's deliberate efforts to support equity and inclusion while remaining committed to reconciliation. We are asking permission to come ashore on your homelands. Still, overall, it was a less than glowing review. 
but there are no regrets. It's important if we're going to be good government that we find out what we're doing well, what we can do better. And yeah, I, I mean, it's been a good process and I'd encourage others to consider it as well. With helps not running in the fall election, it will be up to the incoming mayor and council to decide whether or not the recommendations will be implemented. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria. Falling support for COVID health measures just as infections start to rise again. A new poll shows how Canadians feel about a return to vaccine and mask mandates and why BC is a bit of an outlier. That's next on the News Hour. Be honest at all times. A legend in BC's music industry shares his secrets of success. What makes so many people want to work with Mel Warner later? And three moose on the loose, the northern community that's home to this family later. Right now, though, as COVID-19 cases surge thanks to the BA5 variant of the virus, a new poll shows support for renewed government measures to control those cases is slumping across the board. Kamal Kuramali has the latest on our attitudes about the possible return of mask mandates and vaccine passports. Bring up the idea of re-implementing COVID-19 mandates. For sure, I will not support that. And there's a good chance this... Uh, no, I wouldn't support the idea. ...is the response you'll get. Definitely not. Why not? Um, because I think people should live their lives. Now, a new poll by the Angus Reid Institute finds while cases of the BA5 variant surge amid Canada's seventh wave, support for reintroducing restrictions is plummeting. This is our third summer of COVID. So first of all, there is a fatigue factor. Just more than half of those surveyed in BC say they would support the return of a mask mandate. 30% say the province should bring back vaccine passports. Very few want the return of travel restrictions between BC communities, while one third of those polled say no action is needed during this most recent wave. Support for mask mandates has been steadily declining over time from a high of 86% in late 2020 to 66% earlier this year and now at just 55%. Support for the vaccine passport has also fallen significantly. More than 70% approved of it in September of 2021, now dropping to less than half of that. Do you think we need the mandates reintroduced? I really do not. This risk of reimposing mandates is going to discourage people even further and prevent them, I think, from doing the very simple and easy things that ironically will avoid us from even, even having to have this conversation about mandates. The province says anything is on the table. I think it would be wrong to assume we know where the pandemic's going to be. It has changed and changed again. And we've adapted and adapted again. And we're going to have to adapt in the fall. Public health officials will look at several factors, including rates of transmission, before deciding whether a return of mandates is necessary. Kamal Karamali, Global News. Coming up, a big decision about Vancouver's Olympic bid. Why the city of Vancouver isn't ready to push the plan over the finish line quite yet. And what WestJet employees just did that could throw the travel industry even further into chaos. Traffic is steady in both directions over here tonight at the Alex Fraser Bridge with just some leftover volume through Richmond on the east-west connector between Knight and the S-curve. Today's Lotto 649 jackpot is an estimated $8 million plus an additional guaranteed $1 million prize. Trish Jewison in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. 
Vancouver City Council has voted to work with four local First Nations to explore the reality of a bid to host the 2030 Winter Olympics. It was touch and go for a moment. A report from city staff that red flagged financial issues and a tight timeline to submit the bid. But as Amadagahi reports, councillors overwhelmingly decided to push forward. When we first heard this report, it was... Uh it was a punch in the gut. We're only going to get the answers by talking to each other. It was described as a day to remember, deciding whether the 2030 Indigenous-led Vancouver Olympic bid would sink before even setting sail. It was a rock in our canoe, you know. We, we almost tipped. We're now back in it together. This is a big part of reconciliation. The first hurdle for this bid proved to be a big one coming in the form of a report from the deputy city manager, Karen Levitt, in which she cited extremely tight deadlines, exhausted city resources, and the lack of financial backing announcements from other levels of government as reasons why she and her staff could not recommend councillors to move forward with the bid. That's a difficult report to write because it, uh, it sometimes uh, splashes cold water and a lot of enthusiasm, but I do think we had the answers today that we needed to hear. Those answers coming from the leaders of all four host nations, the Canadian Olympic Committee and other stakeholders, eventually leading city councillors to vote in favour of keeping the bid alive. This report actually contained a lot of uh, detail about what we really do need to know. So it was really helpful in the end, and I think the dialogue today really has, has left this bid stronger. The next step will lead the 2030 Leadership Assembly to seek a commitment from Victoria. There's still so many unanswered questions about who's bringing what to the table, uh, you know, understanding what the full costs are. We're not prepared to sign a blank cheque uh, without knowing what the full consequences are. What's your reaction to that? None of us have asked for a blank check. Um, none of us have talked to the, the Premier. At this stage, this still remains an exercise to find out if a bid would be feasible, with the focus solely on 2030. Today just unified us even stronger in that canoe, paddling forward. Emadagahi, Global News. Some WestJet employees in Western Canada are sending a strong message to the company they want a pay increase. A near-unanimous strike vote by baggage and customer service workers in Calgary and Vancouver means flying might become even more difficult this summer if they don't get a better deal. Global's Kyle Benning has more. Some more potential turbulence for Canadians looking to board a flight this summer. More than 700 WestJet baggage handlers and customer service employees in Vancouver and Calgary have voted 98% in favor of strike action. Their union says wages are the key issue. Many employees haven't received a pay raise since April 2017. It's frankly unheard of. And uh, in today's environment with uh, inflation rates that we haven't seen in decades, it's unsustainable, unreasonable. Bargaining talks have stalled after nine months. WestJet says it remains focused on negotiating an agreement that provides value to airport employees, many of whom joined the airline in the last year. In a statement, Executive VP Angela Avery says, quote, the company will continue to provide our guests with the friendly and affordable air travel WestJet has always been known for. Strike action could take place as early as next Wednesday, which is concerning for some travelers. I think that's the day that we're coming back, so that's good to know. Uh, mildly concerning, but hopefully it all works out. We're uh, expecting the worst, hoping for the best. 
It's the latest issue that could stall airline passengers amid a surge in travel demand. The federal government is still tackling thousands of passport applications. Minister Karina Gould says about 10,000 additional passports were issued this week compared to last week, but the list is still long and Service Canada continues to hire staff. We need to do more, we need to do it faster. Really attacking this backlog and getting into a better place by the end of the summer. Service Canada says more than 550,000 passports have been issued since April 1st. The transport minister says the public and private sector need to continue investing in services to reduce frustration for travelers. To continue focused on adding resources, on identifying bottlenecks so we can improve the experience instead of asking people to delay their travels. Adding to the list of travel woes, Sunwing Airlines now telling customers to be prepared for delays as it expects to be thin on resources, even offering passengers a chance to change their ticket without a cancellation fee. Kyle Benning, Global News. Just ahead, emotional testimony at the sex assault trial of Jake Vertanen, plus a breakthrough in cancer research is that we can learn more about how advanced cancers develop and become treatment resistant. How a tablespoon of blood is all it takes to target better treatments. Also, thieves do some heavy lifting, what they stole from a BC church. Here we are at the Massey Tunnel where counterflow is out and just a little bit of leftover volume here as you can see southbound on the approach just south of Steveston. Get best-in-class protection and savings with BCAA Insurance. Learn more at bcaa.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Massey Tunnel. Well, we continue our coverage of the Jake Vertanen sexual assault trial with a warning that it may not be suitable for all members of your household. The former Vancouver Canucks accuser was back on the stand today, being cross-examined by Vertanen's lawyer. And as Sarah McDonald reports, the woman was emotional as defense questioned her motives and her memory. You think you'll take the stand today? Jake Vertanen would not take the stand on day three of his sexual assault trial on Wednesday. But his accuser did for a second day of a grueling and at times emotional cross-examination. Vertanen's high-powered defense team taking a tougher tone with the now 23-year-old complainant, questioning her memory and recall of the layout of the hotel room where she spent the night with Vertanen in 2017 and of the sexual encounter that allegedly took place inside. I thought saying, no, I don't want to do this, I don't want to do this, and physically pushing him off of me was enough. What else did I have to say? The complainant responded when asked by defense why she didn't, quote, invent an excuse, like having a yeast infection or menstruation to avoid a sexual encounter with his clients. <laughs> On Tuesday, court saw cell phone footage of the pair from their first meeting in Calgary months before the alleged sexual assault, the following September. Vertanen intoxicated to the point of vomiting his accuser helping him and holding the bowl. <laughs> In continued questioning of any financial motivation for bringing forward her claims publicly, the complainant told court, it wasn't my goal to get money out of him. The whole reason I came forward in the first place was to be believed and have people say it wasn't my fault, that I did say no and Vertanen was in the wrong. Defense counsel Brock Martland further pushing the accuser on her motivation behind giving an interview with a local reporter who named Vertanen in their coverage. By naming him, you instigate an enormous amount of public shaming and anger directed at him, defense stated. I wanted him to be accountable, countered his accuser. Do you hate Jake Vertanen? I honestly, yes. You're angry at him. 
I think I've dealt with that anger now. You want him to be convicted? Yes. Neither side disputes the pair had an encounter inside this suite at the Westin Bayshore. At issue is whether any sexual activity was consensual. Defense asking the accuser how she felt the morning after when Vertanen left for Canucks practice, leaving her with money for a cab. I felt degraded, she said, that he could just toss money at me and leave. Did you feel like you were being used for sex? Yeah. Did you feel like it was, for him, only about sex? Absolutely. The complainant testified she did not understand the difference between a civil and criminal trial when she first connected with a lawyer. A civil suit filed first. The accuser telling court she trusted the lawyer who filed it, saying, I didn't even know how much money would come from that. Well, it would be millions, counter-defense. The amount of trauma and stress I've been through, the accuser told court, isn't worth any amount of money. Cross-examination continues on Thursday. Sarah McDonald, Global News. Yet another warning about the dangerous grandparent scam after a West Vancouver senior was almost bilked out of thousands of dollars. West Van police say the 80-year-old victim received a phone call from a man who claimed to be Officer Baker from the North Vancouver RCMP. The victim was told his grandson had been arrested and needed $16,000 for bail. In a scam similar to this one earlier this year, a man showed up at the couple's door to collect the money. Luckily, they became suspicious when he couldn't produce ID. West Vancouver police were in the area for an unrelated call and were contacted by the couple, who were still with the fraudster. The suspect was arrested and police are recommending charges of fraud. Surrey RCMP are asking for the public's help to find the suspects who stole a statue from the front of a church. They've released surveillance video of the theft, which happened at about 4.30 a.m. last Wednesday, outside of the church's education centre on 161st Street. Suspects simply haul the statue away on a dolly, load it into a camper van, and then drive off. The bronze statue was described as two meters tall, depicting St. Andrew Kim. Police have released a still of the van from the video, somewhat blurry, but it does give an idea of what the vehicle looks like. Police say it's difficult to make out the suspects based on the video and other current evidence, but they are working to identify the thieves. Anyone who knows anything about this should call Surrey RCMP or Crime Stoppers. In Health Matters tonight, researchers say they've made a breakthrough in prostate cancer treatment and the discovery was made right here in B.C. New technology allows doctors to determine the genetic code of a patient's cancer using only a small amount of blood and get them the right treatment sooner. Catherine Urquhart reports. At the Vancouver Prostate Centre, staff are busy and proud about a recent medical discovery. We believe this is a huge breakthrough and we're really, really excited about what we can do next. Dr. Alex Wyatt's team, along with researchers at UBC and BC Cancer, have made a huge advance in cancer research. We've been able to develop a new type of blood test that allows you to study the, can the DNA that cancer shed into the bloodstream. So it means that in a person that has cancer spread around their body, from just a small sample of blood, we can understand the makeup of their cancer. Just a few drops of blood, potentially allowing doctors to better select treatment options. As it currently stands, if we want to understand more about a person's cancer, we, we typically have to stick a needle into them and uh, take a sample of that, of that cancer. 
So now that we have this new blood-based technology, it means that a person in northern BC, or in, in Prince George, for example, can go to their life labs, provide a blood tube that's shipped in the post to a location that can then screen their cancer and understand the exact makeup of their disease. The discovery is now being used in large-scale clinical trials and includes cancer patients currently undergoing treatment. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Coming up, the musical world of Mel Warner. I said, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. How this legend got his start and how it eventually landed him in the BC Entertainment Hall of Fame. But first, a mama moose out for a stroll on the street. We are a month past summer solstice already. <laughs> oh, we I are heard too. you lamenting summer's going by way well, too fast. You know, I've, the weather's been okay because it's not too hot. I'm okay with that. But it feels like summer's only just starting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. So, Yvonne, I don't know what to do about that. Yeah, it's been a bit of a mixed bag. I agree. Some days felt a bit more fall-like, even spring-like. But yes, it is going to be summer-like. And actually, the heat is really going to start to pick up as we get in towards the latter half of the weekend and into early next week. I'll have more on that coming up in just a moment. Great shot, though, overlooking the Lions. We've got temperatures sitting at 23 degrees, a westerly wind at 11 kilometers per hour. Some of the other numbers across the province today. Hot for Lytton, up to 34 degrees. Similar for Kamloops and Lillooet. Much of the southern interior into the low 30s and it'll be even warmer into early next week. A touch cooler though, that's the blip in the forecast near Tofino with highs today just getting up to 16 degrees. Now we've got clear skies and calm winds and what we may see overnight and into the morning hours a few fog patches, especially for low-lying areas. A bit hazy for the early morning hours and then it is going to ease off. We've got sunshine in the mix and a bright one tomorrow with the heat on. 23 away from the water 27 when you factor in the humidex though it'll feel into the low 30s especially for areas away from the water now another blip in the forecast along the north and central coast northern and western regions of the island where we are looking at the slight potential for some showers it'll likely be light maybe some drizzle activity and then that should ease off once we get past that we're actually seeing this ridge building in across the province it'll strengthen over the next few days we'll likely see the peak of the heat in some of the hottest ones it'll be hot for the weekend if you do have plans but monday through wednesday next week that's where we see the potential for some heat warnings they may come into effect so stay tuned but be prepared into early next week we've got those temperatures that'll be soaring most areas near metro vancouver we do have the potential into the upper 20s or low 30s rather and the mid and upper 30s will be for the interior so a snapshot across the province drizzle for the north coast much of the southern half will see those temperatures soaring into the low 30s and across metro vancouver it gets hotter for the weekend and even hotter for our monday onwards all right tonight's weather window gorgeous shot this one was captured in furry creek so thank you so much, Rose. Guys, all right. Beautiful shot. All right. Thanks very much, Yvonne. A reminder recently in a community in northern BC that nature is never very far away. Mel Leeson was driving through the community of Lac Scalsap when he noticed a moose and her two calves trotting through the village about two hours north of Terrace. Look at them. <laughs> Almost in you know, unison. You gotta take the kids out for a walk every now and then, get them to, off the couch and away from the screens. Right? That's up in Nishgad territory. Big hello to all our pals up there in, in Nishgad territory. Okay, uh, let's bring in Squire now and a look at uh, what's happening in sports. Well, we're gonna talk about the uh, BC Lions are playing at home tomorrow. They had the uh, bye last week. They've had two buys already this year, so we'll talk about that. And one of their main receivers, Dominic Rhymes, and um, also, I want to show you something nice that happened at the baseball all-star game. 
If I get a one-on-one, -on -one, nobody's going to be able to stop me. So that's just my mind. So every time the ball is in the air. <laughs> Wrong promo. <laughs> and, well, from the Caribbean to Canada, how musical legend Mel Warner brought world beats to the West Coast. We're just doing some last-minute planning to make sure, <laughs> to make sure this on, goes off on. without a hitch. Uh, well, you know what? Have you got it? I'm, uh, I've got it. There we go. There we go. Okay. Got it. Okay. The audience doesn't know what's going on. Nothing's, no, there's Good nothing thing to we see do. here. There's nothing, nothing to see here. here. No, we're going we're gonna to get into the BC Lions in just a moment. A little bit of a computer glitch. So we'll start with um, other football news. The San Francisco 49ers are allowing Jimmy Garoppolo's agent to phone teams about trading for the veteran quarterback who's coming off shoulder surgery. Now, the problem is there aren't many teams in the market right now for a quarterback, except maybe Cleveland because of the possibility of Deshaun Watson getting suspended in the Seattle Seahawks because they don't really have a proven number one guy right now. But would the 49ers trade him to Seattle since they're in the same division? And is Seattle as happy as they say they are with Drew Locke and Geno Smith. Now the feeling for a lot of people outside of the Seattle Seahawks bubble is two number twos don't add up to a true number one. But Seattle thinks maybe Denver didn't develop Drew Locke's potential properly and they can. And if not, Geno might have something left in the tank to run the offense. If they did bring in Garoppolo, he would immediately pass these two and be the number one guy. But right now, the Hawks are all about Locke and Smith. Get it? Uh, last ah, thank you very much. I'm glad it didn't go by anybody. <laughs> um, the BC Lions are back tomorrow after another bye week. They're second already this season. They face the Hamilton Tiger Cats at BC Play Stadium. Now, the Lions were beaten pretty soundly by Winnipeg in their last game, as the Bombers especially gave BC's defense a few lessons. But the Lions' offense actually wasn't that bad against the champs. I didn't think so, especially receiver Dominic Rimes, who has become the leader of the receiving group that's still missing Brian Burnham. At times, the role of a receiver can feel unrewarding. Running route, after route, after route, just waiting to get a pass thrown your way. But for BC Lions wide receiver Dominic Rimes, the patience pays off in big plays. Whatever play is called, I'm going to play to the best of my abilities. And, you know, when the ball's in the air, it's my ball. That's my mindset each and every play. So if I get a one-on-one, -on -one, nobody's going to be able to stop me. So that's just my mindset every time the ball's in the air. And no receiver in the league has made more big plays than Rimes this season. He leads the CFL with five receptions of 30 yards or more. His ability to come down with the ball when it's in the air is something both coach and quarterback appreciate. We want to put the ball up and, you know, where I think our receivers don't view them as 50-50 balls. I think they view it in our favor. So um, they're going to get up there and, and uh, rebound the ball and, and bring it down. And um, Rhymes, like you said, is an example of one guy that does that really well. Yeah, I have a lot of confidence that he can go and make plays. He has done it. He did it in, uh, against Winnipeg, and um, and uh, we know that we have that uh, whenever whenever we see the matchup. And so um, uh, definitely playing to his strengths whenever he can. He's been giving me good balls to make plays on, so, man, he's he's been helping me out big time, so I'm thankful I got him. After four games, Rhymes is already just one touchdown behind his career high of five TDs in a season, which he set with Ottawa back in 2019. The 29-year-old is coming off a 136-yard two-touchdown outing against Winnipeg in the Lions' previous game. Come on! Get out of here, Ryan! 
Rhymes will face a tough Tiger Cats defense that is allowing a league low four and a half yards per play. So if the extra coverage comes his way, it'll create opportunities for the other Lions receivers. Nathan's just throwing the ball to where the reads lead him to and it's nice that we don't have to depend on one guy and that we can distribute the ball around as we go and um, you know we design plays for guys once in a while but that's definitely not the major theme the theme is to, to run the offense and we're uh, we're lucky to have uh, um, you know, a whole whole group of receivers that they can all step up and make plays when it when it needs to be done. Henrik Stenson is the latest golfer to take the money and run into the arms of the Live Tour. That announcement was made today. He is 46 years old, no longer in his prime, but he is a former British Open champ. And with this announcement, his job as captain of the next European Ryder Cup team, which is happening next year, the Ryder Cup, has been taken away from him. Okay, we have to show you this from the uh, All-Star baseball all-star game. Uh, Clayton Kershaw of the LA Dodgers was approached by a young fan at his media conference. And the young fan explained to Kershaw that his late grandfather had always admired him and always wanted to meet him. But he died from cancer before he ever could. So his grandson carried out his wish. The boy is 10-year-old Blake Grice. Major League Baseball allowed him into the press conference to tell Clayton Kershaw the story I just told you about his grandfather and how his entire family is trying to carry out his grandfather's bucket list of things he could never do. And this is one of them. And Kershaw was more than happy to help out Blake and the family, as you can see right there. Brian, you're crying. There you go. That was a good moment. Thank you, Squire. You're welcome. Up next, a former chemist turned concert promoter with just the right formula for Vancouver's music scene. Jordan Armstrong is here now with a preview of what's coming up on Global News at 11. Jordan? Chris, Vancouver Council has voted to spend a dollar per resident. That's nearly $700,000 suing oil companies. We'll have that story. Plus, we'll tell you what happened to a B.C. realtor caught on hidden camera opening a client's fridge and drinking milk directly from the container. The homeowner, as you can imagine, is not happy. Her reaction tonight on Global News at 11, Chris. That's weird. So many questions. So many questions. All right, thanks. You should have seen my mother's reaction when I did that at my house. (laughs) (laughs) And that was your out of the bottle. That was like a big no-no. All right, Uh, you've got a story for us, Squire. Yes, we do. So in 1964, the Warner family emigrated to BC from St. Kitts, and in that family was a young Mel Warner who grew up to be, I would have to say, a big gift to this city and this country. In Mel Warner's office, he is surrounded by reminders of the two main occupations he's had in his life. Chemical engineer for the Canadian government and concert promoter. You retired as a chemical engineer, correct? Yes. Would you ever retire as a promoter? No. It's like a drug. A drug without noticeable side effects and one that put him in the BC Entertainment Hall of Fame and also gave him his own day from the city of Vancouver. And it all started when he was asked to bring shows to Langara, where he was a student in the late 70s. I liked it. Uh, It took a lot of work. I made a lot of mistakes. And I learned from my mistakes by just listening to the professionals and keeping my mouth shut. 
But Mel figured something out the older promoters in town didn't realize, that bringing in reggae acts and world beat musicians would sell in Vancouver. I said, people go to the Caribbean for cruises. People go to the Caribbean for all-exclusive entertainment. Now, instead of the going, let me bring some of that entertainment to Vancouver. By building a reputation of being an honest and hardworking promoter who knows the music, Mel made Vancouver one of the must-play cities for world beat and reggae artists, and his shows are always big sellers. As I said to everybody, when it comes to reggae music, it's happy music. <laughs> I look at it, reggae music is happy music. Yeah. No ifs, no buts. Mel has been one of those people that's made Vancouver better because you know, Calgary didn't have a Mel Warner. You know, Winnipeg didn't have a Mel Warner necessarily, but he, you know, we had him here. So there are a lot of music that would have never come to Vancouver without him. And it's not just music that Mel brought here from the Caribbean. His ability to do this job comes from there as well. My grandparents were ministers in the Caribbean. I see how my grandfather and my grandmother put together a church service. And I saw how the, that organization machine ran. And I, and I think that was always in the back of my head and my brains to be a leader and be a person who could organize things, put it together and see it as a huge success. Great story, Squire. Thank you very much and thanks everybody for watching. Have a good night. Good night, all. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone. Like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.